and maybe it's my personality. I feel like I'm pretty self-deprecating, deprecative. I feel like I self-deprecate a lot. Um, can't speak very well, but I can sometimes self-deprecate halfway well. Diz Runs Radio, episode 1181, starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey, y'all, uh, real quick before we dive into the latest and maybe greatest, I don't know, that's that's subject for debate, but the, the most recent edition where you ask, I answer the monthly Q&A. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by the folks over at AminoCo. Uh, they've been, been sponsoring the show for a while now. Glad to still have them on board. And uh, basically, you know, if you haven't heard me talk about AminoCo before, uh, amino acid supplementation, amino acids kind of key, you know, kind of an important piece of our body's uh, internal chemistry, how our bodies build and repair and take care of themselves. Um, not the only piece of the puzzle, of course, and, and obviously you can get plenty of, of things through your diet, but sometimes, you know, let's not kid ourselves, sometimes a little supplementation um, can go a long way. And if you're looking to, to pump up the amino acid supplementation game for yourself, whether before a run, whether after a run or other workout, race, whatever the case might be, uh, amino, amino, co, uh, amino acids from Amino Co., is a great option. So if you're if you're looking to to do that um, and you want to support the show simultaneously, aminoco.com slash disruns is the link. If you order through there, we get a little bit of credit. And if you order through there, or if you don't, if you use the code disruns at checkout, save yourself 30% on your order and we get a little credit for that too. You know, so it's it's a great way to again support the show. Let them know that their sponsorship money is uh, being, you know, is turning is is working for them, obviously. That their business, they're trying to to get things going that way. Um, obviously it keeps us going here a little bit at Dizruns HQ, and hopefully you'll find that it, it works for you in terms of, again, whether you're talking pre-workout, whether you're talking recovery blend, kind of a post-workout speed, the recovery process, um, or again, just anytime that you just kind of need a little, need a little something, something, a little, a little bit of something extra, a little amino acid supplementation, AminoCo has got you covered. So AminoCo.com slash Dizruns, Dizruns at checkout. Thanks for supporting the sponsors that support the show. Like I said earlier, today's episode, you ask, I answer. It's the monthly Q&A. We do this last Friday of every month. If you've been around for a while, you know that that doesn't come as a surprise. If you're new around here, we do this every every month, the last Friday of every month. And if you want to get your questions answered on the show uh, in the future, whether they're uh, you know some type of serious running coach-related question that I can try to break down for you, whether it's some nonsense that uh, you know we, we have our our share of nonsense questions on occasion as well. Whether it's something in the middle, uh, the best way to get your questions asked and ultimately answered is to join the Facebook group. Dizruns.com slash Facebook is the link. Or if you're on the, on the book of faces scrolling around, uh, just search for the Dizruns tribe, click to join. We'll let you in. And, uh, you know, as long as you, you don't prove yourself to be a douche, which is, it's been a while since we've had any douche, douche joiners that have gotten the boot. So, uh, you know, odds are pretty good. You know, you come in, act like a normal person, have some fun, crack some jokes, uh, ask some questions. We'd love to have you join our, join our party. And then somewhere in the middle of each month, I put out a post that says, what are your questions? You put them in the comments, bada boom, bada bam. We have a Q and a episode. If you like Gary Joe, who doesn't particularly care to be on the book of faces, can't say I blame him. You can always send your, your questions via Twitter, via 
Instagram. I guess it's via X now, right? Via X, via Instagram, via threads, via email. Um, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. I think I'm pretty good at keeping thing, keeping track of things, but Lord knows there's been a question or two that have been lost in this shuffle that way before. So Facebook group is the best option, but uh, send your questions any old way, and we'll try to get them in to the next Q&A episode, which will happen, check calendar, next month. It doesn't matter. The beauty of that is it doesn't matter when you listen to this, there'll be another Q&A next month. So whenever whenever it is, there's there's one coming. There's one coming. So let's uh, let's get to the questions, shall we? First up this month from my man, Rob. I recently trained for a 50-miler doing single long runs up to six hours in duration towards the peak of my training as I slowed to maintain my zone two. Since it was long and easy, I didn't miss any training runs. But my question is... In preparation for my next 50, would it be wiser to cap my long runs at three hours or so, as I've been hearing more and more about, and have multiple days at that length, or perhaps do a couple of doubles at, say, two hours apiece? I felt prepared for my first 50 in terms of stamina, but I want to improve for next year. So, Rob, it's, it's, a, it's a solid question, and, and I think we had a question about this last month. If it wasn't last month, it was a couple months ago, talking about you know how, how far should you train for your long runs. And yeah, there's, there's plenty of folks out there that are like, yeah, you shouldn't go longer than three runs because the risk, the risk out starts to outweigh the reward after that point. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't buy into that as gospel. I mean, I think I, I see the point. I see the logic. I see that that makes sense, but I also recognize that there's something to be gained by going longer. Right. Um, that said, ultimately here's my answer. Here's the short answer. And then I'll go off on some tangents and maybe confuse everybody along the way. Um, I don't think it matters. Like what you did last time clearly worked it, it, it from, from the conversations we had or posts that I saw and updates and things like that. And just, just from this question, you felt good. You were never like, you know, super, um, tired, fatigued, had to really shut it down after a long training run of, of four five, six hours. Um, in large part because you kept it really, you know, relatively low intensity, which is huge. Um, I think you could do it that way again if you wanted to and have a very good chance at improving in large part because you're going to be building on your fitness from the last one, even though you, you haven't tried to maintain peak 50 mile fitness, of course, but like, like you're not starting from the same spot that you were before. And even if you were, your body has adapted to before it, it'll adapt a little bit quicker. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think that there's, it's very common, I don't want to say common, but it's, there's, there's plenty of folks, myself included that have improved from one race to the next. Now I haven't done a 50 miler, but marathon to marathon or 50 K to 50 K without really doing anything different in training, but just that overall trend of positive growth in my fitness. You know, if you're talking six months, eight months, a year, two years apart of races, like, you know, if you've been training consistently and taking care of your body and been healthy, like you're probably going to improve even doing a very similar training build as before. So I, th- I think that you could do it the same way and, and improve for the next race. That said, you know, I, I don't see a reason why you couldn't, especially if you were like, man, you know, that, that last time through God, like, you know, I spent, I spent a month, I spent six, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks where basically my whole Saturday or my whole Sunday, whatever day you're doing your long run, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours, you know, I was out I was out running. I missed time with family. I missed, you know, doing stuff around the house, whatever, whatever you gave up on those long runs to do that. And if you're th- thinking to yourself, I don't know if I want to do that again, but if I could, I could do, you know, back to back three hour runs, or I could, I could do two hours in the morning and a couple hours in the evening, a couple times and things like that. Um, 
I mean, I think that would be a viable way to train too. I don't, I don't have a firm recommendation, I guess, or I don't have like, could you improve training differently? Absolutely. Could you somehow not improve training differently? Also possible. Could you improve training the same way? Yeah. I mean, we've already said that. Yeah, I think you could. Could you not have a, a better race? Yeah, that's, that's possible too. Um, so, so, you know, I, I don't think that there's, there's uh, a blanket. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to avoid the drinking game, folks. We're on the first question. I'm trying to not say it. Trying not to. I'm thinking it though. So maybe you just have to drink anyway. You know, it, it's hard to say that there's a, there's a one size fits all way to do it. It's impossible for me to say there's a one size fits all way to do it. Um, I could make a firm argument multiple ways, more than just the ways that you talked about. I, I could make an argument of a little bit of both, you know, do, do a few runs where you are getting into four five, six hours, where maybe you're getting up to, you know, 30, 31, 35 miles, maybe run a 50 K somewhere in there as part of your training and, and supplement that, or, you know, have a couple weeks where you do that a couple weeks where you're doing, you know, some, some, some three and four hour long runs back to back days. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it has to be one or the other. And, and again, like I said, when we talked about this question previously, I think there is some of the mental benefits or mental preparation that can help from doing, you know, some of those longer runs, even if maybe physiologically, they're not as beneficial once you get into that three, four, and certainly beyond that hours of training out there, but the mental benefits are are not to be dismissed. So, you know, ultimately I think, I think where I'm going to ultimately land for this question, Rob is keep your intensity in that zone two. keep your intensity at an easy level. And I don't want to say that, that either option is the same. There, there are different ways to get there, but as long as you're staying easy with your, with your training and especially with those long runs, making them aerobic, um, there's a pretty good chance, though not a guarantee, pretty good chance that you'll come through it relatively just fine, relatively able to, to you know, not have that big hangover after the big long run for the next week where you'll just kind of keep on keeping on, keep grinding, keep building that fitness and hopefully having an even better second 50 in large part, because you've been there, done that before, right? So you got the mental confidence, you know, you know what to expect a little bit more out of your body. You know what to expect, you know, that, that if you do have a rough patch, you, you know, it's, it's one thing to hear people talk about, Oh, I had this really rough patch at, at mile 37. By the time I got to mile 40, I felt pretty good and ran it in the rest of the way. Like it's, it's one thing to hear that another thing to experience it. I'm going to assume you maybe had some experience of that along the way as well. So, you know, I think, I think that the second race sets up to do better, assuming training is, is remotely the same just because it's a, a, something that you've already experienced. So you got a lot of reasons to think that the second race can be better, will be better. Um, don't overthink your training, but also don't feel like you, you can only, there's only one right answer. Like you can mix and match a little bit, do a little bit of both. Maybe just maybe get, you know, I don't want to say the best of both worlds, but get a lot of the perks of both styles of training, um, without committing to one or the other. So, there's, there's me not answering the question and avoiding that two-word catchphrase, but uh, chug a lug, folks, because that's that's really what the answer is. Uh, second question from Rob, um, in my expert opinion, which I do have an expert opinion, we've established that, uh, in your expert opinion, is hill repeat training beneficial for a flat race or should more emphasis be put on track or flatter terrain? Uh, yeah, I mean, hill, hill, hill repeats... Uh, as far as like a hard workout or even just running some hills on a, on a regular basis, which Lord knows I've got plenty of experience at doing that these days, um, running uphills and downhills, quite frankly, is very beneficial. Um, building strength, form cues, getting your glutes to engage, um, 
all kinds of, of benefits to be gained from, from doing any type of hill repeats or, again, just, just encountering hills on a regular basis with your training. And, and obviously that, that, that plays off or that, that pays off nicely if and when you do have hills on race day, which, which a lot of times, even if it's a pretty flat race, there's usually a, a little bit of incline somewhere. So that can be helpful there. But even for a flat, I mean, if, if, it's, if, if doing hills helps to, to lock in your form, which it does, if it helps to get your glutes fired and engaged, it does. Um, guess what? Those benefits play out on a flatter race as well. So, um, you know, I guess, I guess I've, I've come to really embrace Hills in large part because I don't have a choice anymore now that we live in Georgia. Um, but Hills, Hills, Hills aren't a lot of fun clearly, but man, they, they, they do have some payoff no matter what kind of race, no matter flat or not, um, running Hills for the win for, well, Running hills, not for fun, but running hills for the training benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would, I, I would definitely keep mixing them in, um, as maybe not as much as you can, but on a regular port of your training for sure. For sure. So thanks for the questions, my friend. Hope things are well, uh, next up from, uh, coming to us from the treadmill. Uh, Thessaly's got a couple questions. I'm finally, or maybe just one question. I don't know. Maybe there's, there's one or two mixed in here. She's got a question. Moral of the story. Thessaly asks, I'm finally going to Berlin for the marathon. It's my third or fourth time planning on going, but all the times before I got too scared to travel or, you know, COVID got in the way and canceled races and things like that. Uh, this time it's finally happening. It's my first international trip. Um, do, do I, or anyone have any helpful information to suggest on international travel with a race as the main focus? So, I don't have any firsthand experience for you, Thessa. I know you got some some good comments and some good good feedback in the Facebook group. Because um, I I I can say I have a little bit of international travel and in that I've gone to Canada. <laughs> I've I've gone on a couple of cruises, so I've I've, I've touched ground in other places besides the U.S. Um, but I you know I have a passport with zero stamps in it because when I went the times I've gone to Canada was pre you know have to have a passport days. Um, so all that to say, I don't have any international trip, especially, uh, experience, especially when it comes to flying to, to internationally. Um, and especially with a race focus as part of that trip. Um, but, but I think, I think the big thing, um, or at least, you know, the, 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 the first inclination is to not overthink it in terms of like, yes, it's international, but it's, it's still just a, a flight, you know, it's, it's a flight travel destination race. Um, and I know that you've, you've, you know, done some traveling for races here in the States. So like a lot of the same types of things that you did for races on the East coast, when coming from the West coast, you know, you're kind of going to do the same, the same type of thing when traveling to, you know, a few time zones farther East to Berlin. But in terms of like what worked for you travel wise, what worked for you from, uh, you know, making sure you got your, your, um, excuse me, I have a dog biting shoes here that I need to go beat. Not really going to beat the dog, but we got to we got to solve this problem. Stand by. All right, we we are back to chewing on a ball now instead of uh, a shoe, which I don't really care that much about the pair of shoes she was chewing on. But that's that's a that's a dangerous precedent to start setting around here. Of like, oh yeah, you can chew on that that pair of shoes because I don't care about them. But this other pair of shoes, no no no, we don't play that game. So back to chewing on a ball. Hopefully, no more interruptions here. But I have a feeling that that may happen once or twice more. But anyway, where was I? So, you know, flying to Germany, obviously it's international. It does add a layer of complexity, but you know, same, same principles I think would apply for flying to, you know, anywhere on the East coast for, for a, a race. So like, you know, trying to make sure you can pack as much of your, of the stuff that you'll need for your race in, in a carry on as possible. Um, you know, s- especially shoes, maybe you just wear your, your running shoes, um, which I, I'm not, I'm not exactly one to be like, wear, wear your running shoes, you know, just day to day life, but maybe for the, for that flight, 
knowing that you're going to need them when you get to Berlin and, and heaven forbid you get a, a lost luggage situation somewhere. And now you've got, you know, do you, do you buy new shoes? What do you do? Like, no, no, no. You got your shoes. You know, you got your, your, your race kit, your, your clothes that you're going to wear for the race day, um, in the carry on, um, you know, everything else is figure outable, right? But at least you've got those, those key pieces that you'll need in terms of shorts and sports bra and shirt and, and, and whatever else, you know, that you got to have for, for race day, um, have that with you. And then I think, I think the other big thing, um, and again, coming at it from a position of, I don't really have any direct experience of, of big time travel for a race, um, is to go into it with, with the, with the kind of expectation that like, this is going to be fun. Now, Berlin, I know is, is pretty traditionally a fast race. You know, it's pretty flat. Um, weather is usually pretty favorable. So, so in theory, it's a pretty good race to race hard. And, and it, it may turn out that you run a really strong race, fast race. Maybe PR is, is not off the, you know, not out of the question, but I think going into a race like that with that expectation in terms of that much travel, you know, from, from the West coast, what is it? 10 hour time zone difference. You know, even if you're there a couple days early, like it's still going to be, the time zones are still going to be a little bit off. Um, and just all the logistics and, and food differences and, and, uh, language differences, just being out of your normal routine. Um, I think, I think going into that race with the idea of like, I'm going to run and have fun. And Oh, by the way, if I'm feeling really good and the weather cooperates and like, you know, and, and I'm going well, like, okay. But like going into it with no major goal other than I'm finally going to run this race. I'm punching my passport. I'm traveling. I'm going to see Germany, um, run through Brandenburg gate, you know, maybe, maybe get some schnitzel at the end or, or whatever. Uh, but going into it with just the focus of like, we're going to have fun. And if you, if, if something by accident, you, you stumble into a really good race and, and all of a sudden maybe a PR is, is, is maybe within reach with, you know, 10 miles to go, then maybe you lock in and go for it. But, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into that race. Um, and I mean, I've talked about this before. I wouldn't go into any of the majors or any just majorly congested, crowded, lots of people races. Like to me, those are not the races to try to PR. You can still PR, but I, I don't set goals of PRs in those types of big races. I want a small race where I can run my own race, where I can stick to the tangents. Um, those are the races where I feel like the just, you know, typically I'm going to perform better. Now, maybe you perform better in these types of big races, although, you know, it's, it's not like you run on a treadmill. So, you know, who knows? Um, but I think, I think going into it with, with, you know, bringing as much on the, on the plane with you carry on as far as race stuff that you need is, is step one. And then just run to have fun mostly um, so that there's no pressure on performance and no pressure on, on, um, you know, with all the logistics that you have to go through, um, and just enjoy it. I mean, you know, freaking in, in Germany, right? Like, like have, have a, have a brewski, have, like I said, have a, have a, uh, you know, some type of sausage or, or, uh, liverwurst or bratwurst or whatever, you know, like, like have some, have some fun, enjoy it, let your hair down a little bit, um, and just soak in as much of the experience running and otherwise as possible because, you know, I mean, I guess you've had halfway decent luck of trying to get to Berlin, but it just hasn't worked out. Well, you know, now it has, um, hopefully, you know, if you want to do it again, you'll have the opportunity, but maybe this is like the opening of Pandora's box in terms of, if you just go and have fun, then you're like, my gosh, this traveling for, for races and international travel for races is awesome. And then you start looking at where else do I want to go? Do I want to go to Paris? Do I want to go to, you know, to, to Ireland, to England, to Japan, like where, where, you know, maybe this is the, the race that really opens the, opens your eyes to the, the possibilities of international racing. Um, and if it's a crappy experience, then you're probably not going to, you know, really want to do that. But if you have just the greatest experience by taking all the pressure off, have fun, just run 26.2 miles, um, and be good to go. 
then, then, then there you go. Um, one other thing that I just thought of that may be helpful, um, and, and I don't know this for sure, but I feel like they might not have mile markers in Berlin, right? Like it might be meter markers or, or kilometers or whatever, you know, it might be, um, you know, remember that, that a marathon is 42.2 kilometers, not, uh, 26.2 miles internationally. So maybe having some idea of, you know, what kilometer splits are or what, um, you know, what kilometer signs, you know, what, what translates, you know, being able to do that math, um, that could be helpful too. So that if you get to some point, you're like, what the hell is 35 kilometers? Well, 35 kilometers is seven, five Ks, um, five Ks, three miles. So 21 miles, right? Like, like just being able to kind of know that type of thing, um, could be helpful too. So you don't get caught off guard midway through the race and you're seeing kilometer markers and, uh, freaking out that way. So that, that could be a logistical thing to think about, which also could help you for some of these other international races that might be on the agenda in the future. But I think the big thing is have fun, have fun and roll with the punches as best as possible. Um, and I can't wait to hear, hear how it goes for you. Um, in, uh, just about a month, just about a month. So hope the training is going well. And, uh, thanks for the question, Thessaly. Uh, next up from Trevor looking for suggestions on how to modify my marathon training plan. I've been sick for a week, started running once again, doctor approved, but taking the first week back much easier. I was a week ahead in training just in case something like this happened. So now that I'm back, should I just carry on where I left off as if I was running the miles or do slightly less and, and use the easier third week to do extra as the legs feel great after the rest. Uh, marathon is, isn't until October 15th. So I still have some time. Uh, Trevor, great question. And I think that the, the easiest answer or the, the, maybe the best answer is the easiest, whatever the easiest option is for you. Um, you know, so if you, if you jump back in after the week off and the legs are feeling good and you can kind of pick up exactly where your plan had you for that week, then just pick up where the plan had you for that week. You know, don't try to make up for what you missed. Um, but if, if, if it is one of those weeks where it's kind of a big jump and the, and like, you know, just, just as, as an example, um, you know, let's say that, that the week that you missed, you were supposed to do the, the week prior, the last week that you did your long run, um, you ran 14 miles as your long run. Right. And then the week you missed was 16 and this one's supposed to be 18 weeks in the first week back. Well, that jump from 14 to 18, that might be a bit extreme. So you might make sense to do, you know, go just, just do that 16 mile, uh, long run and then kind of work your way back up to getting back on, on to the, the exact plan over the next couple of weeks with, with how you structure the long runs. But if it's, if it's, you know, just a mile or two difference, or it's not nothing that's too scary in terms of like from where you've been to where you need to be, um, I would just jump into the, to the week and, and, you know, I mean, that's like you said, that's kind of why you were getting ahead anyway, was just in case something like this happened. It's no, no big deal, right? Like you're not, you're not behind. Um, so back on track, keep moving forward. Um, and, and like you said, with, with still a, a, you know, a month and a half till race time, plenty of time to tweak a little bit as needed. If you, if you cut back somewhere, you switch things around. Uh, you got some options, but don't overthink it. If you're feeling good, then just jump back in, keep on keeping on. And, uh, hopefully everything will line up real nicely for you, uh, come October. So thank you for the question, my friend. Been a long time since I heard from you. I feel like, so good to hear from you. Thanks for the question again. Appreciate it. Uh, next up from Monica, any advice on dealing with knee pain specifically around the kneecap? It's something I've struggled with for a long time and had to take time off because of it. Should I do more foam rolling, more strength training, change my stride? I will do all of the things. Um, Monica, that, that's a, that's a good question and I'm not going to have a good answer for you because quite frankly, um, there's not enough info in there on what's going on when you're feeling the pain, exactly the location. I mean, specifically around the kneecap is, is, is better than just knee in general. 
Um, but there's a lot of things that could be going on in terms of under the kneecap, over the kneecap, side of the kneecap, bottom of the kneecap, backside. Like, like there's a lot of different things that could still be going on that, that could be causing you the pain. And they wouldn't all be treated the same way necessarily. Now, I do think more foam rolling is never a bad idea. Foam rolling your quads, foam rolling your, your hamstrings, um, maybe a little bit on the IT band if, you're, if you really want to be a glutton for pain. Um, that, that's not a bad option. And, and even if that doesn't totally resolve the issue and make everything better, um, you know, I mean, I think that's an area that most of us, or at least myself, maybe not most of us, but certainly myself, uh, could do more of and would benefit from doing more of. So doing that is, is probably not going to hurt anything. It might be uncomfortable, but not going to hurt anything. Uh, but probably your best bet is to, to get somebody that can see you in person, whether it's a physical therapist, um, sports doc, maybe a chiropractor, whatever, but who can really like run you through some tests in person, put hands on to kind of feel, um, you know, is something inflamed is something a little bit swollen is, is, you know, and really have a better idea of what's going on than I can do with a relatively general question from this side of the microphone. So apologies, but I don't want to steer you wrong if I can help it. Um, Lord knows I steer people wrong on accident enough as it is. Um, but with this one, with knee pain, we don't want it to get any worse. And so probably seeing somebody is, uh, is the option or is the best option to really identify what's going on and, and solve it once and for all, as opposed to maybe trying to play whack-a-mole, um, with internet diagnosis. So apologies, but I think the best thing is to see somebody. So hopefully you can get that sorted out soon and get back out there. Cause a lot of times, you know, some of these little, these little niggle knee pain things, um, they, they aren't necessarily, especially if you can diagnose them specifically and get a couple of, of the right type of exercises or stretches or things like that can maybe get back from it pretty quick. So hopefully that is how it shakes out for you. But thanks for the question, Monica. Good luck and uh, keep me posted. And if there's anything I can add, I'm happy to do so. Uh, maybe it's maybe, and especially if you have a little bit more of a specific, I have chondromalacia or I have, um, it band issues, or I have uh, patellar tendonitis or whatever is going on then maybe I can supplement a little bit more on that front. So thank you for the question, m'lady. Next question from B Walker. He says, uh, what is a good amount of time to hold a stretch for? Is stretching multiple times a day beneficial? So, uh, Brian, the, the old stretching debate continues, but, uh, you know, when it comes to holding a stretch, um, you know, I don't want to say as long as possible, you know, the longer, the better. Um, but, I mean, kind of, you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. If, if something's real tight and you're really trying to, to loosen up, maybe some tight calves or tight, you know, hip flexors or something like that. Um, a minute, two minutes, you know, something like, like kind of, you can, you can almost get, I mean, again, like it's, it's not like infinite, you know, just stretch forever. Um, but man, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like, 10 seconds is okay. 20 seconds to 30 seconds is probably like, I don't want to say the minimum, but like that's, that's where you start to potentially start to see some gains. But like longer than that, if there's something that's really tight that you're trying to loosen up. Yeah. I mean, you know, a minute, two, three, um, I don't know that I'd go much more than that. Um, but, but a decent chunk of time, you know, like at least for me, I'm usually guilty of like, all right, there I stretched, you know, five seconds here, two seconds there. Eh, we're good to go. Um, that's really not doing any, doing me any good. So, uh, a decent chunk of time, 30 seconds to a minute would be a good, a good target, a little bit more than that for some extra credit. Um, but you can, you can make some progress with 20, 30, 40 seconds for sure. 
Um, and in terms of multiple times per day, yeah, absolutely. Again, if, if you've got something that's really tight that you're trying to loosen up, um, you know, if you can hit it two or three, four times a day, you're going to, you're going to get a lot, uh, more progress than if you're just stretching once a day, even if the time is the same. So, you know, let's say you were, you were holding the stretch for, for two minutes. Um, but you just did that once a day versus if you, if you held a stretch for 30 seconds, four times a day, you know, kind of spread out every, every couple hours or something like that through the daytime. Uh, yeah, you'll definitely get more, more progress that way because you're, you're allowing, you're consistently stretching the muscle, uh, instead of a whole bunch of stretching at once and then allowing it to tighten back up. So, you know, think about a, anything else that's, that's elastic in your life, whether it's, it's a rubber band, whether it's, you know, a bungee strap, whether it's, it's whatever the elastic on your, your t-shirt, um, you know, if, if you're, if you're always stretching it, maybe the elastic is a bad choice because once it, once it goes, it goes, but you know, if you, if you just stretch it once and then, you know, put your head through the, the shirt and then, uh, you know, wear the shirt all day that the, the elastic kind of tightens back up versus if you held that, if you, if you took the shirt off and off and off and off and off and on and off and off, uh, man, the shirt's a bad example. Um, but anything, any type of big, heavy, thick rubber band, right? Like if you're stretching it consistently multiple times a day, um, over time, it's going to loosen up a lot more than one good stretch every once in a while. Our muscles are the same way. You know, poor, poor examples from me aside, that's how our muscles work too. So, you know, a little bit more frequently, if you're trying to, to make some gains again, and, and you know, maybe the best of both worlds is if you can go a minute or two on some of these tight muscles and do that multiple times a day, um, and, and ideally spread out, you know, like, so it's not like I'm stretching two times or three times or four times in, in an hour, but you know, can you get it in the morning after your run? Can you get it on your lunch break in the evening when you get home and again before bed? Now, now we're getting somewhere in terms of a couple minutes with each stretch, uh, spread out throughout the day like that. Um, you can definitely start to see some progress that way. So, you know, kind of the more amount of time, the better up to a point up to maybe two or three minutes and no reason to go much longer than that. Uh, multiple day times a day for sure is better than just once that said, you know, don't, don't get into that situation where it's like, well, if I can't stretch for two minutes for each of these, each of these muscles, um, you know, multiple times a day, I'm not getting anywhere. No, 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 no. You know, something better than nothing always. Uh, but that would be kind of your optimal scenario right there. So thanks for the question, Brian. Next up, it is time for the, uh, the, the Gary Joe hat trick, uh, coming, coming from Twitter. You know, we always got this guy. He can't, he can't join Facebook kind of jealous. Uh, but questions from my man, Gary Joe. question number one, do you take any kind of pre-workout supplement before running? I know you've said during the day, you'll hit an amino code during the day if you get dragging, but what about before good time to remind everybody, you know, see what I did here. This was kind of intentional. I knew this question was coming. Uh, we'll save that for, you know, we'll, we'll save the, the mid, the mid episode plug for amino co for this question. So aminoco.com slash disruns. If you feel like this is dragging a little bit, you want a little pick me up. Maybe I should have, you know, pressed pause here and, and grabbed a little midday, midday hitter of the perform blend of amino co, um, which some would use as a pre-workout. I'll answer that question here in a moment. Uh, but just, just a little hitter, little, little boost during the day, a little bit of caffeine mixed in there as well. Um, but yes, I've been, I've been known to do that during the day. Um, absolutely. We'll take that during the day to, to just kind of keep me going, especially, uh, you know, as I'm recording this right now, it's about noon, you know, start getting to two o'clock, two thirty. I start to drag a little bit. That's where, that's where a little amino co definitely keeps me going. And if that'd be something that'd be useful for you, um, or, you know, if you want it as a pre-workout, which I'm not going to say anything bad about, I'll give you my answer there though, just in a second. 
Uh, aminoco.com slash Dizruns is the link. Let me know what flavor works best for you. I went with the pink lemonade once again. I'm a fan. You know, just it just it's a good it's a good little couple shots. Pink lemonade adjacent. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. It doesn't taste like good per pink lemonade, but it's it gets the job done. Uh, once again, the link aminoco.com slash Dizruns. Dizruns at checkout save you thirty percent on your order. So, do I take any pre-workout supplement before running? No, I don't. Um, and it's not because like, I don't believe in them or it's not, it's, it's really comes down to, it's just kind of the habit I've gotten into, uh, with the heart rate training is that I don't want anything that's going to jack me up before I go out for a run because that's going to jack my heart rate up, which is gonna make it harder to keep my heart rate in, in the zone. And quite frankly, at this point in my life, I probably could get away with taking, you know, whether it's coffee, whether it's amino co, whether it's any other of the, the pre-workout type of things that are available, um, because I typically run low enough and, and, and at an easy enough level level that my heart rate very rarely creeps up against that, that, you know, upper limit that I've set for myself. Uh, but back in the day when I, when I used to be kind of right there, toeing the line, every run, it was like, man, if I, if I take caffeine, you know, if I have a cup of coffee beforehand, um, yeah, I'm not going to be able to keep my, my heart rate down. Right. And same thing with a pre-workout. I mean, th- those things usually have a little bit of a boost, even if it's just, you know, mostly amino acids, still, still a little bit of, of caffeine. Not that I'm anti-caffeine by any stretch. Y'all know my coffee addiction runs deep. But before a run, a few hits of water out the door, uh, and try to try to you know save all the 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 uh, uppers for after the run. And for me, that's always in the form of the coffee, maybe with a little bit of the Amino Co Perform blend mixed in as well. Uh, that's more of a Saturday treat than a than a daily situation. Um, but yeah, no no pre workout supplements for me, simply because. Uh, trying to keep the heart rate down as much as possible. Second question from Gary Joe, a word or two on fueling during a half. Do you go by time miles or whenever the beast needs fuel? I'm about to jump into one next month and just kind of curious. So, um, oh, this is, I, I hate fueling questions because there's so much variation and because I am so far outside of what quote unquote normally gets done that trying to explain what I do probably doesn't work for most folks. Like I don't fuel during a half marathon. Like I'll have a cup of coffee beforehand because I'm not worried about my heart rate getting too high. But in terms of mid-race fueling, like I ain't messing with it. I'm not worried about it. I don't futz with it. I don't think about it. Um, Maybe, maybe just maybe I might put something in my water bottle uh, because I'm probably going to run with my pack still and going to have my water bottle with me. So I might put some tailwind in there. Um, but that's like doubtful for a half. Um, and it's just because I'm, I'm as fat adapted as I am. And because, um, you know, if we remember the rule of thumb that, that you get somewhere between 90 minutes and two hours of, of stored glycogen in our, in our bodies and our livers and our muscles anyway. Um, and you can run pretty hard for 90 minutes to two hours without needing fuel. And for me, you know, that's, that's getting me 13.1 miles on, on most days if I'm going hard and not worried about my heart rate. So like I'm fat adapted, so I don't really need it. And also like that time window, like even if I'm, even if I'm running mostly on carbs, um, I'm still good to go. Still good to go. So I don't fuel. Now, if you were going to fuel and, and to try to give you some type of useful answer, um, the couple things that I would keep in mind is that one, you know, that, that you certainly are not going to need anything in the first hour and a half. Now you might want to fuel a little bit before you get to that hour and a half window, because it does take about 30 minutes for the fuel, whatever you're taking in to get digested and get to the muscles. So, you know, somewhere maybe you want to think about fueling in that, in that 60 to 90 minute window. Um, 
but that that one fueling and a half marathon is probably enough. You know, maybe you want to take a second second something if you're going to be out there for, uh, you know, like and, and obviously this is this is no, you know, faster is better or anything like that. But just just thinking about things like if if you fuel, uh, you know, somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half, and that that lasts you for an hour after you take it. So now you're in that two hours to two hour and a half window. Um, if you're going to fuel again, you know, it's not really going to get to you until you're at about three hours. Now, so obviously some folks, plenty of folks are still out there at three hours to three and a half. So, so maybe that second fueling is going to help you. Um, but I wouldn't take more than that. And I guess to your, to your question, I would, I would almost certainly go by time because miles can be, miles can be flaky, right? Like, like, you know, so, uh, training miles and race miles are different paces sometimes. And, and obviously how you're feeling, things like that can, can implement or impact things, but you know, kind of that window of this is how much fuel I probably have stored on me in terms of, of muscle glycogen that I can tap into. Um, and you know, how long is it going to take to digest? So I would, I would go by time and, and probably fuel somewhere between 60 and 90 minutes and somewhere again, between two and a half and three. Um, and that's probably it, you know, and, and obviously if we were doing it, if we were extrapolating that out for a marathon, you know, maybe you'd fuel again between three and a half and four and four and a half and five. Um, but some of these folks that are talking about taking in a gel every 30 to 40 minutes, like, I mean, you do you, but my experience with fueling in general is that's a pretty good way to have an upset tummy by the time you're finished, potentially before you're finished, which creates a whole lot more problems than maybe running slightly under fueled is probably going to cause. So, uh, I'm a less is more fueling kind of guy anyway. Uh, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully somewhere in there, there is an answer that makes a little bit of sense and, and helps you. Um, but it's a lot of trial and error that, that is involved with, with really locking in your fueling system. Um, which is why for me being fat adapted is, is, is my jam because I don't have to think about it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm carrying enough day to day. I'm good to go. Uh, I can add a little bit of, of something here and there, and it's not going to be a, a problem, but overfueling is probably not gonna be a problem either. So, you know, there's that. Uh, third question from Gary Joe, absolute lunacy question. Cheese isn't available, which is tragic in and of itself. What is your go-to treat? Um, in case you haven't heard, I, I, I like me some cheese. Um, that is, that is my go-to, <laughs> like, I mean, not necessarily my go-to snack all the time, but like there best be cheese in the house at all times. Cause we have, we have a decent chunk of cheese every day, uh, just about every day around here. And so I kind of don't understand like, why is cheese not available? Like what kind of world are we living in where cheese is unavailable? Um, but in, in that type of situation, I suppose my go-to snack would be ideally some type of fruit, um, maybe some dark chocolate. Um, I mean, ju- you know, junk food's not a problem. Like, like I'll, t- I'll take some junk food, some, some chips or some cookies or things like that. If there's, if there's some type of something pseudo freshly, freshly made, um, I'm probably gonna have a hard time saying no to that. But in theory, you know, some, some, some sweet cherries, that's good. That's a good time right there. Um, I mean, it's the summertime. It's like peak fresh fruit season, you know, sweet cherries have been, been good recently. Peaches are coming in right now. Uh, you know, apples aren't quite here yet, but they'll be here soon. Like fresh fruit is, is pretty darn good as far as I'm concerned. So I suppose that would be my, my snack, my go-to some grapes. Ooh, grapes are like crack for me. Um, yeah, I'll take, I'll take fresh fruit for sure. But like, if we have a situation where there's no cheese, we, we best be going to the store. Uh, real soon because, you know, like, like I've been, I've been known, don't, don't tell anybody this, but, uh, I've been known 
to just take the Parmesan can out of the refrigerator and a spoon and just do some work that way. You know, like if, if there's no cheddar, there's no Swiss, no provolone, but there's Parmesan. There's a fresh Parmesan. It's not even fresh. It's great. You grated canned Parmesan. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. That's how much of a cheese addict I am. So, so yeah, we, we got it. Like it's a, it's a, it's a sad day in the, in the cray household when there's no cheese for your boy to eat. But uh, thanks for the questions, Gary Joe, and have fun at that half. Jump, do it. Just jump in, take the plunge, see how it goes. Hopefully, uh, the fueling situation works out for you. Next question from Michaela. I've read that sometimes speed walking can translate into running. Any truth to that? Your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely can. Uh, you know, getting getting good time on your feet. You're you're still pushing your heart rate up into uh, you know more than just kind of casual walking level, uh, but probably probably not really pushing your heart rate outside of kind of that zone two aerobic training level. Um, so you really, you know, speed walking for anybody can really be a great way to build a base. Um, and especially for newer runners, things like that, people that have been out of, you know, haven't run for a while, they're kind of getting back into it. Uh, if you can, if you can get yourself walking fast and, and just kind of, you know, knocking out a couple few miles, things like that, um, that can really beautifully and, and really organically kind of just translate into starting to mix in some, some run intervals. And pretty soon you're, you're running for, you know, however long you want, maybe you, you stick with intervals. Maybe you just start, you know, build your way back into, you know, running straight through for a mile, two, five, whatever. Um, but yeah, lots of, lots of carryover between, you know, good intentional speed walking and, and kind of getting into running, um, great, great kind of training. You know, they, they complement each other well, um, yeah. So, so they absolutely can, can work together and, and the, the walking can really lead into, into growth as, as a runner for sure. For sure. Uh, next question, a little bit of a long one. This one came from email. I've got email questions these days. It's all right. Uh, Nicole sent a, sent a question via email and, uh, it's a little bit loaded. So I'm going to try to talk it through here. Uh, so Nicole, thank you for this question. So I'm curious if the, talking about fat adaption, um, and kind of zone two easy training as well. Uh, I'm curious if the way we utilize fats versus carbs is linked to exertion, i.e. with heart rate, does heart rate training always mean that you are fat adapted? When you talk about teaching yourself to be fat adapted, can you do that without doing heart rate training? If you are both fat adapted and do heart rate training, what happens to your body on race day during a marathon or, or longer? Or for example, when you likely aren't paying attention to your heart rate, uh, might be out of the traditional fat burning zone and your body might want to utilize carbs more than fat. Is the goal of being fat adapted to increase the band of what your body's fat burning zone is? Is this all related to what we say when we talk about building your endurance base? So a, a, a tangle of questions in there, uh, but y'all know that I like talking about this heart rate stuff and fat adaption. Um, and and I, I recognize that sometimes I don't do the best job of clearly articulating thoughts. Um, and, and I'm also you know happy to say that um, I have expert opinions, but I may not always be the expert. Um, on, especially on this topic, like, I feel like I kind of know what works for me and I've, I've learned and I continue to tweak and, and adjust, but my explanations may not be as crystal clear as I would like them to be. But ultimately I do think that you're kind of right there, Nicole, and that it is kind of the goal of, of just kind of increasing the zone at which your body burns fat while, while working out, um, which then reduces the need for fueling like, like with Gary Joe's question. Um, and, and you know, when it comes to, and hopefully I'm going to answer all these questions, but I'm not going to necessarily take them line by line. Um, when we're, when we're running, when you're running, when I'm running, when any of us are running, um, none of us more than likely. So very, very likely that all of us are in the same boat where we're neither burning 100% carbohydrate or 100% percent 
body fat. It's usually a blend. And so when you're working towards fat adaption, the goal isn't to become 100% all I ever burn ever is stored body fat. But it's, it's, the goal is to make your, your body more efficient at burning body fat, which is harder to do. You know, it, it takes a little bit more energy to break down the stored body fat than it is to just pull the, um, the sugar from the bloodstream to fuel, to fuel our bodies. But the, the, there's more bang from the buck from burning stored body fat. So if your body becomes more efficient at that, which is best done while training easy, being in, in a kind of a, an aerobic heart rate zone, zone two, submaf, however you want to classify it, but in that, that easy fat burning zone, your body becomes more efficient at burning, at burning body fat supplemented still with some carbohydrate. Um, but then, yeah, like as, as your body becomes more efficient at it, you're able to run faster. Um, or you're able to, it just becomes more efficient at, at burning that fuel. So you have a wider window where you're still burning probably predominantly body fat. Now, as we get faster, that window also comes into play because, you know, let's, let's just throw out numbers here to try to prove the point. This is not scientific by any stretch, but if, if for me, and I'll just, I'll, and again, these are not like verified numbers, but just, just to try to, to illustrate the point. If for me on my easy easy runs. If, if, you know, on a Tuesday I go out and just cruise, say I'm burning, you know, 60% fat, 40% carbs at that easy level of pace. All right. Now, now if I drop the hammer on a speed workout or on a race day where my heart rate is going above that heart rate zone, where maybe previous to becoming fat adapted, I might go to 80 carbs and 20 body fat, maybe 90 carbs and, and 10, uh, body fat. I don't know, but, I, but those numbers aren't out of the question for, for kind of general rates. Maybe I go to 60 carbs and 40% body fat, which just allows me to go a lot longer before I bonk because I'm burning carbs much more slowly. Um, and then it also allows when I do fuel, which I do tend to fuel something, um, you know, on race day. Uh, and especially again for the longer races, whether it's ultras or marathons or, or, you know, probably not on halves, but maybe, um, but when I do fuel, I don't need as much because I'm not, I'm not burning through it as quickly. So when, when I talk about being fat adapted and, and again, maybe I don't make this as clear as I should, as often as I should, I'm not being a hundred percent. I only burn stored body fat. Um, no one does. I mean, some of the best most fat adapted freak athletes out there, they get to like 90, 95% fat. They're still burning some carbs. Um, it's just, it's just, that's how the system works. Um, but the more, the more you can get to where you're not reliant on the carbs, again, the, the less likely you are to bonk, the less likely, the less tricky fueling on race day becomes. Cause you don't have to try to walk the line perfectly to make sure you're taking in as much carbohydrate as possible, as much fuel as possible. But, but, but not taking in so much that your stomach gets starts to turn. And now you've got issues either coming or going. Um, cause I, obviously that ruins your race too. So, um, it, it, it does kind of, to your point, it broadens, it broadens the, the band a little bit. It, it allows you to have a lot more wiggle room, a lot more margin for error for, for overfueling and or underfueling, uh, I guess to avoid overflow over, you have a bigger margin of error to not overfuel. And likewise, a bigger margin of error that you won't be underfueled, 
um, the more adapted you are at using body fat as a primary fuel source. Um, now can you, can you become fat adapted without doing heart rate training? I mean, I don't want to say no, but you're making it more difficult because you know, how do we get better at anything as we practice it? Right. And so if you, if you're, well, okay, let me back up. Can you, can you do it without a strict adherence to heart rate training? Yes. Provided that you're in tune enough with your body that you are definitely keeping your, your, the majority of your training miles, your training time in a fat burning zone, in a, in a aerobic improvement zone. Um, now for me, and in my, my expert opinion, um, I think it's the easiest, the easiest way to do that is to keep track of your heart rate. Even if you're not like militant heart rate training, at least if you're like, I don't want my heart rate to go above 140 or whatever, whatever the number would be right for you. Um, like at least having the heart rate strap on, paying attention and kind of keep an eye on things and like, all right, I'm at 142. Let me just back it down just a little bit or, or all right, shoot, how did I get to 150? I really need to slow it down now. Like, I think that's helpful. Um, because, because what that's doing then is that's, that's, you know, staying in that, that easy zone, that fat burning zone allows your body practice at burning fat because you're not pushing so hard that it just automatically defers to, we need carbs because Nicole's getting after it right now because this is getting after it right now. We need to bring the carbs. We, we need to just back up the carb train and we'll, we'll worry about the body fat later because we we're going hard. So by, by slowing down the majority of the time, keeping it easy most of the time, that helps train your body to become more efficient at burning the body fat, which we already talked about. And the more efficient it becomes, the easier it is for, for your body to continue to burn a sizable chunk of, of percentage of energy needs or to meet a, a sizable percentage of your energy needs, even on race day, even at during a speed workout, once you're, once you've really kind of worked on that and continue to work on that. So, um, so again, I don't know what my percentages are, but I, I, I would, I would wager quite a bit. I'd, I'd bet the farm that on race day, when I'm really getting after it, I might be more than 50, 50 towards carbs. I might be 60, 40. Um, but I bet I'm probably not much more than that. If I'm even that high, um, I doubt I'm 60, 40 body fat when I'm pushing hard. Um, but most days when I'm running easy, I bet I'm, I bet I'm, you know, 80, 85% body fat, something like that. Um, because I've been doing this for goodness, what, six years now almost. Um, and that's not to say better, worse or whatever, but like I've been practicing it for a while. Um, I've been, I've been pretty disciplined about it and I've been seeing it work and seeing it pay off. So, uh, all that said, you know, kind of your final question, is this all related to what we say when we talk about building your endurance base? I mean, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, you know, the, the, the more comfortable you are with running easy, even if becoming fat adapted, isn't your primary focus. Um, you are building that a little bit too. Um, and, and again, the more, the more you can build your bodies or, or train your body to burn some body fat at moderate to, to even somewhat intense levels of exercise, uh, it just makes the fueling equation a little bit less of a tangled knot to try to work yourself through. So I hope that makes a little bit of sense, Nicole. I hope that that somehow answered most of your questions. Um, but like we talked about via email, if you want to talk more specifically and, and specifically about you, let me know. We can, we can set that up. But, um, but yeah. And, and for those of you that don't care about fat adaption, heart rate training, apologies. Um, I hope that that at least was, was made enough sense to listen to, even if it's not something that you want to do. Um, I'm a believer 
but I'm also uh, maybe not as as militant as I used to be, and, and and I certainly recognize that it's not for everybody, and it doesn't have to be for everybody. So if it's if it's something that's interested in for you, Nicole or otherwise, uh, reach out and we can talk more. Uh, but thank you for the question, lady. Uh, next up, Rick Lind from the land of ten thousand lakes. I just had my best training run uh, in the last year yesterday. 13-ish mile hill run that I finished strong. Uh, this caused me to start figuring out how my current fitness level would translate at my next race. Fast forward to today and a test positive for COVID, which is my first time getting it. Any quick, any tips for a quick bounce back once I'm good to run again? Oh man, Rick, that's yeah, obviously, um, you know, sorry that, that you're sick. Uh, congratulations on a really good, strong training run recently. Um, and I, th- I think the the, in, you know, full disclosure for anybody who's keeping track at home, um, my house is still, you know, knock on wood, been, been, uh, free of the COVID, but you know, I, I suppose with, with things starting to tick back up again, um, probably more of a matter of, of when we get it than if, but at this point, you know, I don't have any firsthand experience from myself. I certainly had folks I've coached over the last, you know, three years now, or since, since the pandemic hit, um, that have had it at different times. And, and, you know, I hate to say it this way that the cliche, but like every case from, at least from a coaching perspective has been different. Some people we're down and out for, you know, three or four or five days. It never really felt that bad, but just kind of like, yeah, I'm feeling a little lethargic, but in less than a week, they're like, yeah, good to go. Um, some folks were, were down and out pretty, feeling pretty miserable for 10 days, two weeks, you know, some somewhere in the middle. So, uh, all that to say, you know, there's, there's no timeline. Um, hopefully it'll, it'll run its course pretty quickly and, and you'll, you know, can, can rest up and, and allow it to, to, uh, allow your body to fight it and, you know, any medication or whatever, and, and be good to go. I think the big thing, whether we're talking COVID or any other, um, anything other, other than it's more serious than you know, a little sniffle or something like that, um, is to, to try to be patient and really allow your immune system to, to fight off whatever crud that you're dealing with. Because the last thing you want to do is be like, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent, but like, you know, maybe I'm 60%, 70, I'm on the upswing. So I'm going to go run today. And then you go out and, and you, even if you're not trying to push it, but you just go out and, and you do more than what your body is ready for at that moment. And that can weaken your immune system up a little bit. And then you wind up with, with the bug, or in this case, the COVID, um, you know, kind of getting worse. You almost have like a regression in symptoms. And now you're now, maybe you were one or two days from like full health, but now maybe you're back to being a, you know, another week on the shelf. And so we don't want to do that. So, you know, I think, I think the biggest thing is patience, which I know for runners is not always the, the key. And especially I'm assuming for you coming off of a good, a good training run and, and not wanting to lose that fitness and, and kind of get back out there and, and finish, um, you know, finish training, training strongly for your next race. Um, but I think the best way to do that is to make sure you're fully healthy. Now, once you're fully healthy, you know, whether that's five days, 10 days, two weeks, whatever, um, you know, give you, give yourself a bit of grace on the first few runs back. Um, and, and, and by grace, I don't necessarily mean like expect that they're going to be terrible, expect that they're going to be slow, expect that they're going to be short, but they might be, you know, you kind of ease in and, and, and go into it with a, you know, less of a, I have to get six miles or eight miles or 12 miles or whatever would be on your calendar for day. And just like, I'm going to go a mile and see what happens, you know, and if everything kind of feels good, well, maybe I'll go a second mile. Uh, but keep it short, keep it simple, certainly keep it easy and, and kind of see how you feel the next day and, and maybe not run day to day to day, um, that first few days back. But again, this is kind of like what you do coming back from any type of pretty good sickness, right? Like you kind of ease back in. You don't want to, don't want to push too much while your body is still maybe in that final, final recovery phase. Um, 
and you know, after you've been kind of starting to, to dip your toes back in the water for a few days, you got a pretty good idea where you are. The fitness will come back. You know, the fitness will come back if you let your immune system do its job. So hopefully, um, hopefully you're feeling good by the time you, you, you're listening to this, you know, a handful of days later, uh, hopefully the worst is behind you. And if you still have a few more days left until you're really, really feeling like yourself again, then, you know, as, as, as difficult as it is for many of us, you know, stay on the couch, um, and, and allow your body to rest for as long as you need. Um, and when you're, when you're healthy and fit and ready to run again, that's when you get back out there and not, not before. So feel, feel well, my friend, hopefully, uh, like I said, hopefully feeling, feeling back to yourself, if not already, uh, in the very near future. Next up, it is time once again for the Tom trifecta. First question from Western New York. Tom asks, I know you do not really follow the elites. However, the track and field world championships are happening right now. Are you at all interested in the thrill of the competition? I think the women's marathon will be exciting to watch. Um, yeah, I'm not really, not really following it at all, Tom. I, I've seen a couple of, of, uh, you know, clips on, on, uh, social media or whatever. I saw, uh, uh, you know, the, the, was Shikari, uh, when the, when the hundred meter dash for the women, um, I've seen a couple of field event highlights. I used to really like even track, track, uh, track meets in, at the elite level. Um, but I guess I've just been out of the track world for so long now that like, I mean, I'm still pseudo interested, but like me, you know, I haven't been watching. I haven't been tuning in. Um, so I guess that's, I guess that's the answer. Am I, am I interested in the thrill of the competition? I mean, in theory I am, but in practice I'm clearly not. So I guess the answer is I'm clearly not. Um, yeah. I don't know why. And it really doesn't have as much, like, like to me, and this, this, this sounds, this is honest, but it sounds ridiculous even before it comes out of my mouth. Like I like the elites on the track and the track and field events, maybe not so much the longer distance track and field events, like, like the 5k, 10k. They're interesting to me from a tactical perspective. Um, but like, like, I'm not really like, I don't, I don't know who's who anymore. Um, but like watching the elites on the, on like the hundred meters and the 200 meters, um, that stuff's still awesome. So like, I'm still interested in it. I'm just not interested enough to actually watch it, which, which I guess means I'm lying to myself to say that I'm interested in it. So hopefully those of you that are, that are, have been tuning in and watching are enjoying it. Uh, maybe I'll catch a highlight package at some point, but probably not based on, based on previous history, uh, as far as you know, since the world championships started in the last week or so, uh, haven't really cared. So I guess it probably isn't going to change now. Uh, next question from Tom. Let's say you are in the last half mile of an easy run and are trying to stay in heart rate zone two. All of a sudden your heart rate steps into zone three. Do you slow to a walk or just finish the one run without regards to heart rate? This happens to me more often than I like, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So, um, it doesn't happen to me very often, Tom, and in large part, like I said earlier, or maybe I've, I've said this in the past, I think, um, I don't, I don't really get right up to my, my upper heart rate limit very often. Um, and, and usually I'm 15, 20 beats below, eh, maybe 15, 10 to 15 beats below my, my heart rate limit that I try to stay under. So even if I take up a little bit towards the end, I'm still usually coming in under, under the, the number, not saying that's the right way or the wrong way, but just like, that's why it doesn't really happen to me. But if it were to happen or, or on the days that, you know, I didn't get as much sleep or, or whatever reason, my heart rates, it's just freaking hot. And so my heart rates up a little bit more than I would like it to be. 
um, I'm keeping an eye on things. And like, if, if my heart rate started to, to creep into to zone three, you know, with a half a mile to go, I wouldn't slow to a walk, but like, I'd slow my pace down just a little bit. Like, like, I, and I guess maybe my, my, my answer to your question is with a question, why, why, why does it have to be slow to a walk or just finish the run? Like if it's, if it's an easy run and you're trying to stay in heart rate zone two, um, just slow your running pace down a little bit. Like, like, you know, cause I'm assuming, and maybe this is where I'm, I'm missing the mark, but I'm assuming it's not like all of a sudden your heart rate steps into zone three that it like shoots 20 beats into, you know, almost to the upper limit of zone three. Like you're a beat or two up. We'll just slow down. You know, if you're running at 8:30 pace and your heart rate's kind of right there at the upper upper level of zone two, and now it's it's all of a sudden it's in the lower re- reaches of zone three, we'll just back it down to nine minute pace, which for me at least still a run. We're we're not walking at nine minute pace or 9:20 or 9:30 or 10:20 or whatever. You know, back off the pace by 20, 30 seconds a mile. I would think that would be enough to start bringing your heart rate back into zone two, and then just finish your run that way. Now, I'm not I'm not going to say that that you know just kind of not pushing the pace, but just kind of continuing at that same pace at that eight thirty per our example, um, for the last half mile. And yeah, you're into zone three, but whatever, like, I'm not gonna say that's going to ruin the effect of your, your easy run. Um, but I, I mean, if it's an easy run, it's an easy run, right? Like that's just how my mind operates. Like we'll just keep it easy. So just slow down just a little bit, keep your heart rate where you want it to be. And so your pace got a little bit slower for the final half mile. So what? Okay. It happens, especially in the summertime especially at the end of a run because it, you know, accumulated fatigue over the course of a run, heart rate is always going to go up the longer you run, whether you're running for two miles or eight miles or 20 miles as, as the miles pile up as the time on your feet continues to, to build and your heart body weight or body weight, your body heat starts to increase from movement. Uh, maybe the environmental factors, you know, this time of year, the sun starts to come up, it gets hotter. That's like heart rate always trends up. And so if that means you need to slow your pace a little bit as you go, but you can still keep running or you slow to a walk. Nothing wrong with that either. Um, but again, in, in this example, I feel like slow to a walk or just run without regards to the heart rate. Just slow your run down a little bit. Keep running and keep your heart rate in check. Seems like the, the answer for me, you do you Tom. And again, I don't, I don't think either one is right or wrong, but I feel like that's, that's the sweet spot is a little bit of both. Uh, final question from Tom. How many safety pins do you think the average runner has Assuming they race a few times per year, I think that I now have a lifetime supply. Yeah, we've got we've got all the safety pins. Uh, I I I try so hard when I like, and I don't race very often. Many of you know that, but I try so hard at a race to like not walk away with the safety pins because usually they got the they got the the box right there where you're picking up your bib or whatever, and they're like, oh, grab some safety pins. Um, I'm like, no, I'm good. But then it's like they just put them in your bag. You know, if there's if there's some type of of goodie bag, sample bag, whatever that comes with it. There's, there's four safety pins in there and it's like, oh, well, there's four more. So yeah, I mean, I don't know the, the average runner has all the safety pins. I think is really the answer, you know, a couple dozen, at least probably if you're like me, at least no idea where they are, but then randomly you're going through something. You're like, what the hell are there 15 safety pins here for? Like, like I know where they came from. Cause they're all the little safety pins, right? Like I know exactly what they're from, but why did I decide to stick them in this box? Like what? What went through my mind when I was like, hmm, I've got 15 safety pins that I probably had for a decade. Let me, let me stick them into this little, you know, whatever, whatever section of the, you know, the, 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 you know, dresser drawer or the, this box or like, why did I put it? Why did I put them here? Why am I still holding on to them? I don't know yet. Yeah. I, I think we've all got, 
more safety pins than most of us will ever will ever need for sure. Uh, but thanks for the questions this month, Tom. As always. Next up from Polk County, from Polk County, Lakeland, Florida, my old stomping grounds, my old emphasis on old, my old running partner, Miss Kate Morgan. I don't know, Kate, how many questions have you asked, legitimately asked on these Q and A's? Not many, but here's one, and it's a it's a doozy. I don't know. I don't know if I'll have a good answer. Probably won't. We'll see. I recently listened to a podcast interview. Kate asks focused on separating your identity from your running performance outcomes, which got me thinking. As a coach, do you find it difficult to separate from the performance outcomes of your athletes? It seems like it would be great to share in their successes, but what about failures? Do you find yourself taking on responsibility when things go sideways for them? Or are you able to keep a healthy perspective on your role as coach and their role as athlete? So, um, I don't know if i keep a healthy perspective, (laughs) um, but I tend to, to, um, and maybe it's my personality. I feel like I'm pretty self-deprecating, deprecative. I feel like I self-deprecate a lot. Um, can't speak very well, but I can sometimes self-deprecate halfway well. And, um, you know, I, I feel like when things go well, when somebody has a great race and they, you know, they run, they run strong and they, they meet their goals, exceed their goals. Um, I deflect big time. Like I don't share in their success very often, or at least not. I don't share in their success very often. I'm like, Hey, great job. You killed it. You did awesome. Um, you know, well done. Well done. And I, I really try to prop them up and celebrate them. Cause like, like at the end of the day, and, and I mean, I, I, I can honestly say that like, I do think that as a coach that I provide some type of value. Um, because if I didn't, if I thought I was just peddling snake oil, like I wouldn't be able to live with myself, uh, doing, doing what I do. Right. Um, but like, I don't know. I mean, I put numbers on a calendar, right? Like, and yes, I do more than that. I, I think, I hope I do more than that. Um, but like the hard part is like doing the work, right. Is getting the runs in is finding time to do, to do the strength training and this, and the stretching and the foam rolling and the, the training and the sleeping while, while doing all the other things of life and taking care of kids and work and family and houses and dogs and whatever, whatever each person has going on. Um, so like you as the athlete did the hard part. And so, especially when things go well, like it's all on you. It's all great job. Great job. Uh, when things go a little bit more sideways, like I'm not, I, I don't think that I've just automatically fall on the sword, but I definitely, definitely look, look at what could I have done differently? Were there workouts that maybe we could have, have adjusted? Could we have, uh, you know, did we peak too early? Um, you know, and, and just, and just definitely a lot more self-reflection and definitely a lot more of, you know, maybe I, maybe I let you down a little bit here. You know, I apologize for that. Um, but like at the same time, and, and I think the healthy part is, I think I'm healthiest and this sounds awkward to say, but I think I'm healthiest with the perspective when things do go wrong, because a lot of times where things went wrong, is just like we're humans. Right. And like, maybe the weather was shit or maybe, you know, the stomach went sideways or, or maybe we just, we took a big swing. You know, we were going for a big goal, a big, a big PR, or or it was the first time running this distance. And like, you know, things were on point and it could have gone really well, but sometimes when you're going for something big, it goes, it goes real sideways real quick. Um, you know, it's, it's going great until it's not. And in those cases, like, okay, you know, like, like we went for it. Right. And, and hopefully in the, in the buildup, 
there is at least a little bit of conversation typically about, you know, this is a big goal. I think it's, I think it's doable, but I think it's a reach. And like, you know, if we want to go for this big one, like may it might blow up, but like it might not, and it might go great. And so we go for it. And so then, you know, in the, in the after, in the after reports and in the, the, the debrief, it's like, all right, well, maybe I should have been, you know, a, a little bit more vocal or at least a little bit more forthcoming about, yeah, it is a pretty big reach and like, we can still go for it, but you know, but I don't want to tell somebody they can't try something, you know? So it's like, like, anyway, when, when somebody has a great race, it's, it's all them. When things went sideways, it's how can, how can we learn from this? How can we learn from this? Not just how can you learn from this? Um, but what can I do differently? Maybe it's a lesson that I learned for all of the athletes I coach and something that, that tweak and adjust how I operate or, or how I communicate or whatever. And sometimes it's just, for me and this and this particular individual, all right. I know that this didn't work for for you this time. We won't try that again. You know, we'll we'll tweak it a little bit for the next race, or we'll 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 come up with you know a different plan or a different different strategy or different way of, of building for the next race. So, I think my perspective is healthy. Um, but I love it when I mean, obviously, I love it when my athletes do well. Um, and I, I but I celebrate them, not me. Like, it's not about me in that situation. It's about them having a great race and putting in the work and doing the, doing the, the effort and showing up on race day and, and executing the plan. Um, and I, I get more excitement for that than I do for my own, um, successes these days. Now, maybe with the possible asterisk of, I might get more excited when I qualify for Boston than anything anybody else does, but like my random half marathon PR that I got a couple years ago, um, I mean, that was awesome, but like, that wasn't nearly as excited as, you know, the person that qualified for Boston that day. Like, that's what I was excited about, not about my stuff. So, um, so yeah, like, I think it's a healthy perspective. You, you may not, but, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it when my folks have good days. Like that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Uh, thanks for the question, lady. Next up, another question from Michaela and we're getting close to the finish line here. I think we got five questions left to go. Um, or maybe there's two here from Michaela. So maybe there's six questions. I don't know. We'll see. Michaela asked, what has been the most unexpected running book you've read? Like you did not have high hopes and it turned out to be really good. Um, oh, I mean, there's been, there's been a few and, and, you know, I guess plug for the, uh, the, the book club that we do in the Patreon group. Um, most months, you know, every once in a while life gets in the way a little bit, but you know, we do 10 or 11, uh, usually books per year. Uh, you know, read them. And at the end of the month or beginning of the next month, we get together on zoom and we chit chat about them a little bit. And there's been, there's been a few clunkers. There's been a few that were like, yeah, that was pretty good. And there's been definitely been a few where I was like, not really excited to read it, but people wanted to read it. So we read it and I really have enjoyed it. And, and one of them that, that springs to mind that I did not expect much from, um, but actually really did, really did enjoy was let your mind run by Dina Castor. And, you know, I, I, you kind of going back to Tom's question about, I I don't get too wrapped up in, in elites and I don't really care that much about reading their, their memoirs. Um, although we've read, we've read a few of those and our our new book, in case anybody wants to join us, disruns.com slash Patreon. Uh, we're reading the Des Linden book that just came out recently. So that's, that's the, the book for September of 2023. Um, but we read Dina Castor's book a couple of, I don't know, a year ago, year and a half ago, something like that. Um, and I went to it, into it thinking like, eh, it'd be all right. And there was actually a lot to it. Like some of the, the mental stuff, a lot of, uh, kind of sports psychology adjacent material in there. And, and, you know, for somebody like me, who's, who's made no bones about 
trying to improve my mental outlook like that. There was, there was some, some good stuff, some good takeaways from that book. So that was one that, that I went into it with, with low expectations and I uh, was really happy. We read it. We re- was really happy. We read it. And there's been several others, but that's one that, that bubbles to mind uh, first and foremost. And then follow up from Michaela, any re- running related book that you have read over and over. Yeah. There's a couple I've, I've read, I've read 80, 20 running a bunch of times. Um, you know, kind of the heart rate, thing heart, that was that was my 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 first introduction into to heart rate training um running slow racing fast and i've read that book probably three or four times and i've read um with born to run at least twice maybe three times um that's one that i enjoy circling back to every once in a while too so um I've read those a bunch of times or at least a couple times a piece I'm not sure I've read too many other books multiple times i've referenced some of them of course but those those are the ones that I've actually just sat down and read multiple times. Um, so yeah, every once in a while I'll find one that I like to read multiple times, but usually one and done works for me, but, uh, love being excited about a book or pleasantly surprised about a book versus like just slogging through it because I feel like I have to, um, which I've done that before. We've all had, we all, we've all had some times where we get to a discussion and like, yeah, that was not a lot of fun. Uh, did not really enjoy that book. Um, but more often than not, we tend to enjoy the books we're reading. So thank you for the question. Uh, next up from Vermont, Chris asks, uh, I've always wanted to do math running, but was running intervals previously. Hopefully running will be in the cards again here eventually for me. If it is, it seems like this is a great time to start math since I'm basically at ground zero fitness wise. I know both ways of running. So both kind of that math heart rate style and also, you know, run walk intervals. Um, I know both ways of starting to run slash getting back into running have their benefits. Is there one that is better than another from a, you know, true starting from zero kind of position? Um, I mean, I don't, I, Chris, I, I kind of go back to Tom's question about, uh, the, the mile and, you know, why not both or, you know, like, like it doesn't have to be an either or scenario in terms of just slowing down to keep your heart rate in check. And I kind of feel like this one, like it doesn't have to be an either or either. Um, I feel like math running and interval running can work really, really well together, especially for somebody who's kind of either getting into running for the first time or in your case, kind of really building back after an extended, you know, injury issues and, and kind of getting back into things. Um, I mean, I think they work perfectly together because, you know, if you, if you're math running, like there's nothing that says you can't still do intervals while keeping your heart, like just keeping an eye on your heart rate. And if you're, you know, and, and kind of s- structuring your intervals, especially in the, the, you know, first couple of months to where your run intervals are short enough. And you're keeping your effort easy enough so that your heart rate doesn't bubble up too high. And as it starts to get high towards the end of your, your running interval, whether it's 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes or whatever, then here comes this walk break. And now you got, you know, a minute or two or three or five minutes of a walk, whatever it is, bring that heart rate back down a little bit, kind of let everything re- reset, recalibrate. And now you've got your, your next little run interval. Um, and again, you're keeping your eye on your heart rate. And so I think they could work beautifully together where you're building the aerobic system while you're also, you know, taking some small chunks of running to kind of build your fitness back up, build back into the routine, let the, let your whole body start to readjust and reacclimate to the demands of running and the pounding and, and how it all, you know, how your body works while you're doing all that. Um, I mean, I think they'd go together beautifully now. It's, and especially in your situation, especially kind of coming back from, from, you know, something approaching zero. Um, that's a great time to, to do both. And then, you know, in a perfect world, you know, we get to a year, two years down the road and like your aerobic system is, is definitely paying, you know, you're seeing the benefits on that front from the math running. 
your intervals are continuing to um, expand, you know, in terms of like maybe you started out at one three and now you're at six one or something like that. Um, whilst the heart rate's still staying down, you're, you're, you're nowhere near, you know, bombing, uh, you know, redlining your heart rate during your run intervals. Um, and then we start to have options in terms of, do you want to run straight through? Do you want to run, you know, how do how do you want to structure your intervals and keep your, you keeping your math in check? And like, you can kind of go for days at that point. So I think they work great together. Um, and if it were up to me, which is clearly not, but if it were up to me, I mean, I'd say both and both and for sure. For sure. Uh, thanks for the question. And uh, keep 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 the faith. Keep moving in the right direction. Uh, and let's let's get back to running soon. Uh, next up from Natasha. I'm inter- entertaining the idea of doing a 50K. The one I'm eyeing is less than 2,000 feet of elevation gain. To be honest, the trail race scene intimidates me because it seems so cool. My own work, I know. But here's my question. In your expert opinion... I love that y'all are confirming that I do in fact have an expert opinion. Yes, indeed. In my expert opinion, how much harder is a 50 K than a marathon? Any words of advice or things to consider for a primarily road runner thinking about doing their first trail race? Um, so Natasha, I don't know that you're going to want to hear what I'm about to tell you, but in my experience, in my very much expert opinion, um, a trail 50 K is easier than a road marathon. If, if you go into that trail race without time pressure, without time goals, like, like, I feel like that's what makes the marathon so hard, especially a road marathon is that we, we have, and I, I do this too, right? So this is no, this is no way, shape or form casting shade on anybody independent. Like this is casting shade on all on, actually not even casting shade. It's an observation that I'm guilty of that we go into a, a road marathon with an expectation of I'm going to run, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to run five hours, I'm going to run four hours, I'm going to run three hours and 30 minutes, whatever it is. I'm going to PR, right? We put this time pressure on ourselves. And in large part, because of the fact that it, it's road and it's relatively, you know, hopefully most cases, relatively stable conditions, stable footfalls. We're not worried about tripping on loose rocks or roots or things like that. Um, you know, we can, we can, we can plan pretty closely for this is what my pace needs to be. And, and we can race hard and like, you know, like there's a lot of time pressure though, is the, the moral of the story. At least again, for me, for many, I feel like a lot of time pressure on the road. If you can detach the time pressure from a 50 K and just go out into the woods and run for five hours, six hours, seven hours, eight hours, whatever it is, you know, but with no time pressure other than I'm going to run some and I'm going to walk some, and I'm going to stop at the aid stations and chat to some folks. And like, like in terms of the distance, I mean, obviously let's do the math. It's five miles farther, plus or minus. Um, so there's that, but there's so much less, if you can take the pace pressure off, I mean, I think it's easier. I think it's easier to just kind of go out and cruise. Uh, maybe you talk and meet some, make some new friends or meet some new people talk to them a little bit, run with them for some. And then you say, all right, well, I'm going to get going or you, you go ahead and you know, I'm doing great. And, and we just kind of cruise along. And, um, again, you know, if it's, if it's on the trails out in the woods now, if it's super technical, Maybe that's a little bit different. You know, if it's lots of ups and downs and you're used to, you know, most of your road races you run are a little bit more flat, like that makes it more of a challenge. But also, you know, on the flip side and why I'd say it's easier is, and again, maybe this is just me or maybe this is some of you as well. Maybe it's you, Natasha. I don't know. But like the idea of walking up the side of a mountain on a trail race. Yeah. Duh. Of course I'm going to, I'm going to hike up this, this mountain. Right. But like on a, on a, up a similar mountain on pavement and a road marathon, 
it's like, oh shit. Well, if I, if I hike now, if I get, if I get to walk here, like then I'm going to have to really pick up my pace later. And like, I don't, you know? And so then I'm like trying to run up the side of this hill. That's not a hill. It's a freaking mountain and I'm burning so much. In, but like, if you're just hiking it, you stop to take a picture, you stop to overlook like what, like I think, I think it's easier. Um, it's, I, I'm not, and I'm not saying it's easy. It's still hard. It's still a challenge, especially the first one. Um, it's a different environment than what you're used to. So that, so that's, that's a thing. Um, and, and I, I say this not flippantly and I say this with 100% sincerity. If you can run a road marathon, you can run a trail 50 K like you can absolutely can. Do you want to, that's up to you, but it's, it's not any harder. The training just really doesn't have to be any different. Um, yes, it's a different environment, but it's, and, and, and for me, you know, I mean, I obviously again, like y'all listen to this, you know, you know, my, my type B minus joke, but it's not really a joke. Like I'm, I'm really B minus. Um, it's so much more laid back. It's like, like, I mean, I've done, you know, like, I can't tell you how many road races I've done where it's just been like the, all right, everybody, are you, everybody ready? Okay. Three, two, one, go. But that's been like just about every single one of the trail races I've done, the trail ultras I've done. It's, all right. Hey, everybody, get, let's get over to the starting line now. All right. Everybody here? If you're not here, let me know. All right. Sounds like everybody's here. Y'all ready? Three, two, one, go. That's my kind of race. That's my kind of race. So laid back, relaxed, friendly, stop at the aid stations, have fun, no time pressure, just finish. Um, 50K. 50K is a pretty sweet. 50K is a pretty sweet. So I say do it. Um, and just, you know, give yourself zero pressure, zero goals other than to just run and have fun. And I bet you'll run and have fun. And I wouldn't be shocked if you become a convert, if you become a convert, don't say I didn't warn you, but I definitely say do it. Definitely say do it. Last but not least, two questions from the man with two first names. Jason Dennis from the other side of Georgia asks in uh, early November, I plan to run marathons on back to back days for the first time to knock out two different States doing the 50 state challenge. Any advice on training, preparing for this double marathon? So I've, I've yet to do marathons on back-to-back days. I've done them a week apart and, uh, which is clearly, it's a whole different way of, of getting after it than to do it back-to-back days. Um, but I think the big thing is, is the first day for sure. Just pace, pace yourself like crazy, you know, like, like you can't, I mean, I guess you can, but I, I would say it's not advisable to go out and try to hammer the first day. And then wake up the next day after driving, however far you got to go to get to the next state, you know, and then be like, all right, well now I'm fresh as a daisy. Let's go do 26.2 more miles. Like, like, you know, keep it real pedestrian. If, if you're, if your typical, you know, race pace for a marathon is somewhere about four hours, maybe that first day you're targeting five hours, you know, scale up and down accordingly, but like, you know, give yourself plenty of time to just go out and cruise, walk a little, maybe, maybe you do some type of run, walk interval plan from the beginning where every, every mile you walk every two, however you want to break it down, but just really keep the effort as, as conservative as possible on day one. Um, and you're still gonna be tired the next day, but you'll be okay. You know, you'll be okay. Um, I think in, in training a little bit, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to try to get a couple of back-to-back long runs. doesn't have to be 20 miles back-to-back, but you know, if you can get couple of 15s in a row, or maybe a, a 20 and a 15 the next day, something like that. Just to, just to kind of give yourself a little bit of, of, you know, some people, it, it is a little bit of the training effect of, of doing that. But I think a lot of it is mental too, you know, talking earlier about how long is too long for a long run. Some of that might not get as much benefit physically, but mentally it, it pays off. 
I think, you know, going out to, to run 15 or 18 or 20 miles and then waking up the next morning and going out for another 15, um, that's huge mentally because obviously that, you know, you can do the math on that. That still leaves you, if you go 20 and 15, it still leaves you, you know, 17 odd miles short of the back-to-back marathon days. Um, but at least it lets you know, like, all right, you know, I can go out and, and cruise for 15 after cruising 20. I'll have race excitement. Like, like I'll be okay. Um, and so that, that can help you feel a little bit more confident. So maybe a couple of back-to-backs, um, easy pace, really easy pace, especially on day one. And then if you're feeling good on day two, you can push a little harder. Um, but you don't want to get to the starting line on day two, just fully depleted. Like that sucks. That sucks. So, um, and then other than that, I mean, you know, just typical, have fun, um, taper, taper for sure going into it. So you're as fresh as possible. Um, but with as with as much running as you've been doing, I mean, you're probably not too far off. So a couple of a couple of back to backs, um, back to back long runs in in you know maybe in early October or late September, early October, um, and then you should be good to go. You should be good to go. Good luck and, and looking forward to hearing how it goes for you, Jason. Uh, second question, final question. During my latest run streak of more than a year, I almost never stretched. Had no injuries. Should I be stretching? Should I do some type of of lunge matrix or d- dynamic movements, static movements? Could it help improve my run performance or how I feel during after a marathon? So, um, another stretching question. I I struggle with these ones because there's, there's really no definitive proof that says that stretching is, is massively beneficial. I think I feel better after I stretch. So there's that. Um, I think that, that having overly tight muscles is not ideal, but I've kind of changed my focus recently in the last year or so from less of a stretching focus to more of a joint mobility focus. So like I'm okay with my muscles being tight if my joints can still move, you know, but if I've got a lack a severe lack of range of motion in a joint, then I'd like to work on that. So like I've been working on my hips a fair bit, still a long way to go, but working on my hips, working on my ankle mobility. Um, and some of that is stretching, right? Some of that is lengthening the muscles specifically for me, the calves, so that my ankle can, can dorsiflex. So I can point my toes up a little bit farther than, uh, than what I have been recently. Um, but some of it's also joint health and, and doing some things to try to improve the, the movement, the bones gliding across the, the joint surfaces that has nothing to do with tightness in the muscles. So, um, I, you know, stretching is not a bad thing. It's, is it, it's not panacea, you know, it's not like, like clearly you're not having an issue right now. But then the, the, the question that it sort of begs, and, and I, you know, I don't mean this as an, an anonymous way because who knows, but like, is there, is there some type of niggle or some type of something that's, you know, six months out that a little bit more stretching, a little bit more focus on joint mobility could, could resolve. But if you don't start doing that stuff, is something going to bite you six months, a year, 18 months from now? I don't know. And I certainly don't wish any like that, any of that bad juju on you, um, but that's kind of one of those, you know, like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is now like you deal with one of those injuries. You're like, Oh God, I should have, I should have been stretching six months ago. Well, I got, at least I'll start now. So, you know, you may not need to do it now. I don't think it would be a bad thing. I don't think you need to invest tons and tons of time into it. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe backing up a little bit, if you're not stretching, but you're doing a bunch of foam rolling and things like that. Well, okay. That, that could, that could counteract itself or that could be all right. Um, you know, there's multiple ways to, to maintain, um, 
muscle mobility, joint mobility, muscle length. Um, I don't know that there, that, you know, I I wouldn't say that it's going to necessarily improve your performance, but it might cut your injury risk a little bit, even though you've been healthy, there's no guarantees. There's also no guarantees that stretching is going to prevent an injury. So like, like it's, it's a tangled web, this whole stretching conversation. I think it feels good for me personally. So I'm a little more inclined to try to do some of it. Um, but I also struggle to get off the couch sometimes in the evenings when I could do some stretching before going to bed, which would, wouldn't be a bad idea. So, you know, it's, it's very much a, I think it's, I think it's overall good ish, but I don't do much stretching either. So there's that. So there's that. So there we go. That is that, that is this month's list of questions as were submitted. Uh, hopefully that was useful. Hopefully something I said today made sense. If that's the case, let me know what made sense. Or if you want to disagree with something, let me know what you disagree with at Diz runs on X at Diz runs on Instagram at Diz runs on what's the other thing on threads as well. Diz runs at gmail.com. If you would like to shoot me an email. And of course, if you want to head over to the show notes for today, where there's a whole slew of memes and gifs and nonsense, um, in the show notes for today or in the, the, the list of questions that's really makes up the show notes for these episodes. And there's also that comment section down at the bottom. Check it out. Dizruns.com slash 1181. Dizruns.com slash 1181. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, y'all. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the attention. Thanks for the questions. If you want to join the Facebook group, Dizruns.com slash Facebook is the link. If we're not friends yet on Facebook, or if you don't want to be friends, if we're not, if you're not following me on Facebook, no promises just yet. But I'm kicking around the idea of, of doing some things on Facebook. We'd love to have you join the party, if you will. Unlike personal public Facebook. So not, not in the Facebook group, not on the business page, like me, the Denny Cray individual on Facebook. If you want to give me a, give me a follow or be a friend, if you, if you don't mind me peeking into your, your Facebook ones, I'm not going to snoop around, I promise you. But at least, you know, maybe scrolling across my feed once in a while. Let's be friends. And if you, like I said, if you, if you want to keep your stuff private, that's cool. Just give me a follow. If you don't want to, that's fine. But, uh... I might be talking about this a little bit more later. Get, get yourself ahead of the curve. But right, let's be friends on Facebook. AminoCo, sponsor today's episode, Dizruns.com. I'm sorry, AminoCo.com slash Dizruns is the link. Dizruns at checkout will save you 30% on your order. Get yourself some amino acid supplementation that fits whatever dietary preferences you have. From carnivore to vegan to none of this, none of that, everything in between, um, it ticks the box. So check it out, AminoCo.com slash Dizruns. And with that... Let's wrap this one up before my voice completely fails, which I feel like we're on the verge. So let's shut it down. Y'all, thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with this. Thanks for the questions. Until next time, be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? Later, y'all.